This morning I invite you to turn with me again in your copy of the Holy Scriptures to Genesis chapter number 40. As was just read a moment ago, Genesis 40. There is a favorite flower that we know to have a yellow center and five flat lobed petals, most often blue and pink and and white. The German legend says that when God was naming all the plants, this tiny unnamed flower cried out, forget me not, O Lord, to which God replied, that shall be your name. Another folk story says that a knight and his lady were walking along the side of a river. He bent over to pick a posy of flowers for his lady, but because of the weight of his armor, he fell into the river. And as he was drowning, he threw the flowers to his loved one and shouted, forget me not. And how romantic that is. (laughs) So for centuries now, the forget me not flower has been a symbol of remembrance. And in spite of its little size, the forget-me-not flower has risen to, to real prominence, being mentioned in great pieces of literature from Henry David Thoreau, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, and J.R.R. Tolkien. And legend and for- folklore has pressed this little flower into our consciousness. You see, the, the forget-me-not flower is not prominent because of its beauty or because of its bloom but because of its name. Its name is what resonates with us. For we want to be remembered, we don't want to be forgotten. But alas, in Genesis 40, verse 23, Joseph was forgotten. Look at verse 23. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. If you look at chapter 41, verse number 1, for two full years, Joseph was forgotten. And so this morning from Genesis 40, I prepared a message titled, simply, Forget Me Not. Let me pause for prayer, and then we'll study the scripture together. God in heaven, we thank you so much for the themes of our music this morning as we have thought of your character Lord, we've, we've thought of your, your faithfulness and how you care for us day by day. Lord, we've sung or we've, we've heard of, of your holiness. Lord, we've sung of, of how great you, you are. And so, God, this morning as we approach your holy word and we read and study of, of the man Joseph and the circumstances in his life, may we first and foremost think upon you and have the the sweet assurance that you have not forgotten us. We commit our study to you now in Jesus' name. I pray, amen. Poor Joseph, as we've learned over these last few weeks, has had a bitter life experience. He was sold to traveling merchants by his very own brothers. He was then resold by those traveling merchants to Potiphar, an officer of the Pharaoh in Egypt, Of course, by God's grace, Joseph was then promoted in Potiphar's house. However, he was then falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, and he was thrown into prison. But once again, by God's grace, Joseph was promoted in prison among the inmates there in prison, and he was given responsibility over the other prisoners. But nonetheless, Joseph was still presumed to be dead by his father, Jacob, and he was also then forgotten by the outside world. 
for more than two years. And I wonder, I muse upon what prison might have been like for Joseph. Was it dark? Was it damp? Was it cold? Did Joseph have clean water and hot food there in prison? We don't know other than what the Bible tells us in Psalm 105. Psalm 105 is a review of God's faithfulness to Israel throughout our history. And part of Israel's history, of course, is Jacob and his 12 sons and the circumstances that brought them to Egypt. Psalm 105 says this, Moreover, he, that's God, called for a famine in the land. He destroyed all the provision of bread. He sent a man before them. Joseph, who was sold as a slave, they hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people let him go free. If we were to keep reading Psalm 105, it would tell us the rest of the story as we know it, how that God hadn't forgotten Joseph, but delivered Joseph and restored him to prominence in Egypt so that the whole world could be saved from famine. But I would appoint your attention here on the screen to verse number 18, Psalm 105, verse number 18. There is debate about the translation there of verse 18. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons. That's my New King James. Or his feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron, if you have the ESV. Of course, some could read this in the original Hebrew or the subsequent Greek translation of the, the Hebrew, the Septuagint. But it's Jerome's Latin Vulgate that reads this way. This is verse 18 in the Latin Vulgate. It says, iron entered his soul. Now, I don't know that that's the best translation necessarily, but but the idea is profound. Iron entered his soul because that could be the experience of any man. At times, there is a cruel fetter that is placed upon our our bodies. Think of it of an in, unjust circumstance, or think of a, a limitation or a restraint, and that oppression or that restriction makes its way inside us to seize our soul. You see, initially during a trial or during an affliction that we might experience, we're committed to trusting God, but in time, the hurt of that external circumstance begins to rub. It rubs against our mind and our heart and our soul, and we resist and we resent the iron fetters of God's testing, and we find that it clamps down upon the very core of our being. According to Psalm 105, verse number 18, Joseph's imprisonment was a matter of physical restraint of fetters on his feet and an iron collar around his neck. But beyond that, think of the bondage that Joseph's emotional and mental and spiritual sensibilities were experiencing. How was Joseph to survive the false accusation of Potiphar's wife? How was Joseph to be sustained during a time when, it, when he felt like he had been forgotten there in prison for more than two years? And folks, by way of introduction this morning, I I would remind us that, that we have never been incarcerated like Joseph, but there may be a circumstance in our life that that has us bound and caged, and we feel trapped, and we feel shackled by some limitation, maybe no fault of our own. 
some external restraint or restriction. It may be a physical limitation. It may be a relational loneliness. And every indication is that you have been left and forgotten by others and by God. And that reality can become a a point of bitterness that's worse than physical imprisonment. I've written there at the top of your notes this, in the limitation and loneliness of life's circumstance, Satan will tempt you with doubts about the person and presence and promises of God. This morning from Genesis 40, I'd like to give you secrets of, uh, to Joseph's right response, how Joseph responded rightly. In this case, I, I hope to help you see these things in the chapter. Number one, J- Joseph knew that God had not and that God would not forsake him. You say, well, Pastor, we, you know, we just read Genesis 40 just a moment ago, and I don't really recall seeing that in, in the text How do you know that Joseph knew that God had not and would not forsake him? Well, look back to chapter 39. Let me read verse number 20 and following. Then Joseph's masters took him and put him in prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison, we know from chapter 41, verse 1, for for more than two years. Chapter 39, verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he did... And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. And so the fact that Joseph, that, that God was with Joseph, that you saw it there in verse 21 and in verse 23... That was not a unique experience to Joseph for the first time in that moment. It was a recurring pattern of his life. Look back earlier to the beginning of chapter 39. Before Joseph was imprisoned, look at chapter 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Verse 2, chapter 39, verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. And he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian, and his master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hands. I believe that what sustained Joseph during the terrible injustice that he suffered was the awareness and the assurance of God's person and God's presence. Let me repeat that because you need to write it down. What sustained Joseph during the terrible injustice that he suffered was an awareness and an assurance. An awareness and an assurance of the person and the presence of God. That was Joseph's testimony at the end of his life. That was the testimony of the psalmist in Psalm 139. Where can I go from your your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? These are rhetorical questions. If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, Sheol, the grave, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. Do you believe that? Are you aware of the presence of God in your life? And do you have the assurance of his presence? I am telling you that without a conviction regarding the person and the presence of God, you will be crushed 
by circumstances of life. You know why? Because life is hard. And life hurts. And when God seems to be a million miles away, there's no human hope for the future. Where do you turn? To the person in the presence of God. And so this morning I would ask you, is is God omnipresent? Yes. Is God omniscient? Yes. Is God omnipotent? Yes. Is he sovereign? Is he all wise? Is he good? Is he good all the time? And in your darkest hour, when you cannot see your hand in front of your face, and you have nothing to hold on to other than the person and the presence of God, you must have the conviction that he will not leave you nor forsake you. In Psalm 73, Asaph said this, Whom have I in heaven but you? There is none upon the earth that I desire beside you. When my flesh and my heart fail, every day, it seems, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So I'm going to submit to you that Joseph knew that God had not and he would not forsake him. Let's pick up reading now in Genesis 40. Let me read just the first eight verses. It came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker, the king of Egypt, offended their lord, the king of Egypt. The pharaoh was angry with the two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker, so he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison. Would you know it? The place where Joseph was confined. Coincidental or providential, right? And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, so they were in custody for a while. Then the butler and the baker, the king of of the king of Egypt who were confined in the prison had a dream, both of them, each man's dream in one night and each man's dream with its own interpretation. And Joseph came into them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his Lord's house saying, why do you look so sad today? And they said to him, we each have had a dream and there is no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. We gain a bit of insight here about ancient government in, in Egypt. And, and I just noted here, it isn't a modern phenomenon of government officials, politicians, to try to put one's political opponents in prison. That's exactly what was happening here and even to this day. That seems to be a, a point of agenda. In Genesis 39, Potiphar put Joseph in prison. Now in Genesis 40, Pharaoh put a couple of his officers in prison because he was offended in some way early there in the early verses of chapter 40. So upon the arrival of the chief baker and the chief butler, verse number 3, Joseph is assigned to them in verse number 4 to supervise them. Chapter 39, verse 22 suggests that that Joseph had leadership responsibility among the the inmates, even authority over the inmates. However, in chapter 40, verse number 4, the Bible uses, chapter 40, verse 4, the Bible uses the word serve. You see it there? In the original Hebrew language, it it means serve, you see. And, And so Joseph was a servant leader there in the prison, he attended to them as how the ESV reads, or he took care of them as the New American Standard. He worked to meet their needs. I would offer you number two, Joseph saw the situation in his life as an opportunity to serve 
others for service. He saw his situation in life as an opportunity for service. And, and because I, I believe, and, and I'm reading between the lines, I'm making some interpretive decisions here, I believe that because Joseph was free from resentment and bitterness in his life circumstance. He was confident of God's person. He was confident of God's presence, that God would not forsake him. Because of that, Joseph was able to minister to their needs on a very personal level, the baker and the butler, maybe the other inmates as well. How do I know that? Look at verse number six. Joseph had enough of a relationship with them to perceive their sadness. Verse number six, and Joseph came into them in the morning and looked, and he saw that they were sad. At the end of verse number seven, why do you look so sad today? Well, hello, we're in jail, right? We're in prison. What, what do you want us to know? There was something that Joseph perceived and discerned about them in the midst of his own grief. In the midst of his own pain, his own suffering, he was able to see their grief, their pain, and their suffering, their sadness in verse 6. And he extended to them, himself to them in service. Let me, let me suggest something here this morning. I submit that a primary reason for our assembling together as a fellowship of believers, as a, as a church, is for one another... Now, we certainly worship the Lord. We certainly study the scriptures together. But we are gathered for one another to stir up love and good works, to exhort one another as we see the day approaching. And by the way, folks, the day is approaching. You know what I mean? The day is approaching all the more. We stir up love and good works. We exhort each other all the more as we see the day approaching. And so our attendance here and our interaction and intersection with one another as fellow believers is for one another. And let me tell you what you will find. You will find relief for your sorrow, relief for your sorrow in life as you submit yourself in selfless service to one another. You have been wronged. You have been neglected. You are a victim. You are depressed. That's real. But stop looking at yourself and thinking about yourself and get up and, and serve one another. That is, first, it's Christ-likeness personified. And then secondly, it's the greatest therapy you can do. It will help you. It's the best counsel that I can give you. That even in your circumstance, you discern and perceive one another's hurts. Say, hey, brother, hey, sister, I perceive that you're hurting today. How can I help you? How can I pray for you? How can I encourage you? And so rather than wallowing in self-pity, he had every right to, Joseph did. Joseph had every right to have a pity party for himself, but rather he was able to introduce his God to the butler and to the baker and serve them with their dreams. You see it there in verse number eight. He says, do not interpretations belong to God? Now, Joseph knew about dreams. Joseph had some of his own dreams. His dreams were the very thing that got him into trouble in the first place with his brothers, landed him there in Egypt. So the butler told his story to Joseph first, verse number nine. Then the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, behold, my dream, my dream, a vine was before me, and in the vine there were branches, 
It was as though it it budded, its blossoms shot forth, its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. That's a remarkable dream. And so Joseph interpreted that dream, verse 12, and Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler before you offended him and landed here in prison. And following then this interpretation, Joseph made a personal request. Verse 14, but remember me when it is well with you and please show kindness to me and make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house out of this prison. What what is Joseph saying? Joseph is saying, forget me not. You see, my family's forgotten about me. Potiphar's forgotten about me. My, My father thinks I'm dead, and maybe God has forgotten about me. But will you please remember me? The baker told his story next, verse 16. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said to Joseph, hey, I also had a dream. Help me out here. I was in, in my dream and there were three white baskets on my head and the uppermost basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh and the birds ate out of them and the basket on my head. And so Joseph explains the dream, verse 18. So Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you and you will hang on a tree and the birds will eat your flesh from you. Okay, not good, right? I, I'm sorry I asked about my dream. So what about dreams? It's apparent that, that God used dreams in the life and times of Joseph to reveal his purposes and his, his plans. You remember how that God gave Joseph dreams about his brothers and his fathers bowing down to him back in chapter 37. And those dreams will be fulfilled in chapter 43. We'll come there in a few weeks. In Genesis 41, God will give Pharaoh dreams about the years of plenty and the years of famine. And those as well will be fulfilled. Here in prison, God is giving the butler and the baker dreams. And and these dreams are not the natural occurrence of of REM sleep. This is God's supernatural revelation to man. And the Bible records how that God used nighttime dreams and daytime visions to reveal his purposes and his plans to people. And in my notes here, I just jotted some of the occasions I could recall. Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, Pharaoh, Samuel, Solomon, Daniel, Zacharias, Ananias, Cornelius, Peter, Paul, John. It seemed that everyone had dreams. Well, what about me? I, I have dreams at times, and some of you are in my dreams. Some of you are in my nightmares. So what about, what about my dreams? Are my dreams a point of God's revelation to me? Perhaps there is some interpretation of my dreams. I would caution us in, in, in this way. God has given us a complete body of revelation in his word. And God does not need to use dreams or visions today. I I would caution those who claim to have seen or heard from God in a supernatural way because that claim cannot be verified apart from one's personal experience. You say, well, pastor, are you calling me a liar? Well, no, I'm not calling you a liar, but I'm questioning whether your experience was from God 
or from Satan, or perhaps simply the random activity of our complex brains. And when someone claims an unexplainable phenomenon of sights and sounds and sensations, what do we do? We go back to the scripture alone. Okay, this is my personal conviction. And this is my pastoral counsel to you that New Testament believers are called to the scriptures, not to sensation or speculation. Go to God's word alone, not to a unique or an uncertain experience. And while that unique or uncertain experience may be very real and it may be inexplicable, don't lean on that. Go back to God's word. In this case, however, in God's word, we know that these dreams are the supernatural revelation of God to man because the Bible tells us so. And because these dreams and their interpretation, their, their fulfillment come, come to pass. Look at verse 21. Verse 21. I'm sorry, I need to maybe back up to verse number 20. Now, it came to pass. That's where I'm looking. It came to pass on the third day, which, by the way, happened to be Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all of his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. And in what way? Perhaps to demonstrate to all of his subjects, I am the sovereign. And I want to use a little object lesson here as the sovereign to show you how my authority is absolute. So here's what I'm going to do, verse 21. Then he restored the chief butler to his butlership again, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But on the other hand, he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. So certainly this fulfillment confirms the veracity of those dreams and their interpretation and and that is all well and good, but, but really, what about Joseph, right? I mean, this is the biography of the life of Joseph, verse 23. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And so really, the, the climax and the conclusion of chapter 40, never mind the good fortune or the bad fortune of these others, it's Joseph is forgotten, And his hopes are crushed by this reality. Chapter 41, verse 2, chapter 41, verse 1, and it came to pass at the end of two full years. Two years, Joseph is still forgotten. And I would submit to you that if Joseph hadn't battled bitterness and resentment before this, I am sure he's tempted to now. But I would suggest number three, Joseph trusted God regardless of the circumstances. You say, Pastor, how do you know that? Nowhere in the text does it tell us that Joseph trusted God for those two years. I'll tell you why I offer you number three. I I believe Joseph trusted God in this case because he had no other option. There are times in our lives when there is nothing else that we can do but to trust God the Lord. When our burdens grow greater and we've exhausted our store of endurance, what do we do? Oh, we try to self-medicate in a number of different ways. Maybe for you it's sleeping. Maybe for you it's shopping. Maybe for you it's socializing. 
But that just proves to be unsatisfying, and it's at these times that we must trust God because we have nothing else to do, nowhere else to turn. So how is it that Joseph could trust God regardless of the circumstances? Follow this, and imagine this with me, and we're doing some, some sanctified speculation here this morning. Imagine that Joseph is sitting alone in his cell, shackled and caged. Remember the fetters and the irons from Psalm 105? He's been left like an animal for dead, forgotten by his last lifeline, if you will. And so what's his thought process? Let me suggest this. Could it be that Joseph reasoned in this way? God is the one who gives dreams and their interpretation and their fulfillment, as he said. And in that, God just fulfilled the butler and the baker's dreams. I must conclude that God will also fulfill what he's revealed to me. You think about that? Years earlier, God had given Joseph a dream in which his fathers and his brothers would bow down to him. That had not yet happened. And so in the processes of Joseph's mind, perhaps he's thinking, God must not be done with me yet. Even though my circumstances today seem hopeless, like a dead end, God must still be near and has a plan for me. And folks, I would submit to you that because of what God has done in the past, we can trust him for the future. Do not interpret your circumstances today as God's final determination or destination for you. He is simply working his will in your life along the way. Now, with the psalmist, we might cry out, how long, O Lord? How long do I have to wait? We don't know. And so we trust. What, what does that mean? It means that we can't see it now. We're in a dark prison cell. We can't see beyond today, but we trust what he is doing and that he will fulfill his purposes and plans. So I submit that Joseph trusted God regardless of the circumstances because he had no, no, no other option. And I think it's the honest, transparent heart of faith that says, you know what, Pastor Matt, I don't know what to do. There is no solution. I've got no other option but to trust the Lord. That's a great place to be. After we've exhausted every human effort, we've got nothing, nothing but to trust the Lord, his person, his presence, his character, his promises. Let me, let me conclude with this. The story is told of a man who lived through the Great Depression. He lost his job, his home, and his wife. For practical purposes, his life was now a, a dead end, but he was a believer in Jesus Christ and he held tenaciously to his faith even though he battled depression from his difficult circumstances. One day in the midst of his self-pity, he stopped to watch some men doing some stonework on a huge church in the city. One was busy chiseling a triangular piece of stone. What are you going to do with that, the man asked. The workman stopped and pointed to a little opening near the top of the spire. He said, see that little opening up there near the top? He said, well, I'm shaping this down here so that it will fit up there. 
The man's eyes filled with tears as he walked away from the workmen. The object lesson was not lost on him. Perhaps God was shaping him here on earth below for the place that he had for him up above. And maybe the hammer and the chisel of your life is shaping you for the perfect fit that God has for you tomorrow or next week or next year or for eternity. You say, Pastor, it's been a long time. It's been two years. It's been longer. I fear that I have been forgotten or neglected. But know that God in his love for you is shaping you for a greater purpose. Let's pray. God in heaven, we suffer circumstances in this life that leave us wondering if we've been forgotten. Lord, we feel neglected. We feel alone. We feel hopeless, bound and caged by hard circumstances. But I pray, Lord, that you would give us the assurance, the awareness, and the assurance of your presence that you have not and you will not forget us. Lord, may we have the courage in our situation to serve one another and to be sensitive to others who are also hurting. And God, ultimately, regardless of our circumstance, may we trust in what you're doing. We know that you love us. We, we know that. I pray that we would experience that as well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.